Welcome to this week's edition of Island Recast. For more information on Grand Memorial Presbyterian Church or Pastor David, please go to gmpc.org. So it, uh, it, it may be an apocryphal story, but I'm going to tell it anyway because I like it. <clears throat> um, it and it's about uh, a, a Sir, Sir Conan, Arthur Conan Doyle. Sir Arthur Conan Doyle. Yeah, he's the guy who wrote uh, Sherlock Holmes. That's right. There's a, there's a, a story that, that he was a little bit of a prankster. Yeah, uh, he was a little bit of a prankster. And so one day he selected 12 of his friends who were upstanding uh, people in the community. Uh, and he sent anonymous telegrams to each one of them. And the telegram said, all has been revealed, flee at once. And they all did. Um, what would you do if you received something like that in the mail? Hmm. You don't have to answer that. Uh, because the reality is uh, that probably each and every one of us uh, have something that we hope that nobody else ever finds out about. Because we're afraid that if they did, somebody might cast a stone at us. If you have your Bibles, I would invite you to open them to the eighth chapter of the book of John. And here we find a, a, a fascinating narrative uh, of a woman caught in adultery. And what's fascinating about it is that uh, these 11, uh, 12 verses, actually verse 53 from the 7th chapter through the 11th chapter, uh, 11th verse of chapter 8, uh, this little narrative is not found in the oldest manuscripts of the Bible that we have. Uh, and so Jerome put it back in in the third century, and uh, that was the basis of the, uh, the text from which we have the New King James Bible. And so there's been a lot of questions about wh why, why was it taken out earlier? And some people suggest that, yeah, it was, it was taken out earlier uh, because men were afraid women would use it as an excuse to be promiscuous. I'm glad it's here. And I want to read it to you this morning, and I want to talk about it. It's in the context here in John, where uh, Jesus has just announced on the last day of the, of the, the festival of tabernacles, Whoever, who, if anyone is thirsty, let him, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as Scripture has said, streams of living water will flow from within him. And, of course, the religious leaders of the day are really ticked off. And they're trying to figure out how to get rid of Jesus, and they want to arrest him. But they can't even get their own guards to arrest him. Because when they go and they listen to him, they're, they're blown away because nobody ever taught like Jesus. He teaches with such authority. And his words, they just penetrate the heart. Nicodemus, Nicodemus, who came to Jesus at, at night, 
he, he tries to stand up for Jesus at this moment. He says, he says, does our law condemn anyone without first hearing from him to find out what he's doing? They replied, are you from Galilee too? Look into it, you will find that no prophet comes out of Galilee. And they each went to their own home. But Jesus went to the Mount of Olives. At dawn, he appeared again in the temple courts where all the people gathered around him, and he sat down to teach them. The teachers of the law and the Pharisees brought a woman caught in adultery. They made her stand before the group and said to Jesus, Teacher, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. In the law, Moses commanded us to stone such women. Now, what do you say? They were using this question as a trap in order to have some basis for accusing him. But Jesus bent down and started to write on the ground with his finger. When they kept on questioning him, he straightened up and said to them, If any one of you is without sin, let him be the first to throw a stone at her. Again, he stooped down and wrote on the ground. At this, those who heard began to go away one at a time, the older ones first, until only Jesus was left. With the woman standing there, Jesus straightened up and asked her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? No one, sir, she said. Then neither do I condemn you, Jesus declared. Now go and leave your life of sin. I'm actually surprised that as they make their accusations in front of Jesus that he doesn't ask a question back. Rabbis like to do that when asked a question. They come back with a question. You say that she was caught in the very act of adultery. Where's the man? Where's the man? Unfortunately, in the day, and sometimes little changes, where we are quick to, choose, quick to accuse the, the, the women, but men get a pass. And that goes all the way back to the Garden of Eden. Adam, where are you? Well, we hid because we were naked. Who told you you were naked? She did it! How little some things change down through the ages where women are cast in the, in, the, in the light of being the seductress, the tempter, the one who lacks moral fiber that brings men to their knees. Oh, come on. Where's the man? If they were caught in the very act, there had to have been a man there. Was he let go? Was he possibly 
standing there with the others. They had this woman completely vulnerable and they neglected to care for a human being and for a soul. They used her to get to Jesus. So many scholars have wondered down through the years what Jesus was writing when he knelt down and began to write in the dust. Last week I read to you a passage from, uh, uh, from Jeremiah, and it, it's actually a candidate for what Jesus might have been writing in the dust. O Lord, the hope of Israel, all who forsake you will be put to shame. Those who turn away from you will be written in the dust because they have forsaken the Lord, the spring of living water. Maybe that's why it was put right here in this place in John's gospel, because Jesus had just revealed to them that he is the source of living water. So maybe he's writing down that verse. Maybe he's, maybe he's writing down the verses from, uh, uh, from Exodus where Moses tells the people, do not spread false reports and do not help a wicked person by being a malicious witness. You know, it took two witnesses to condemn somebody. There's a bit of a mob mentality going on here. Some have suggested that Jesus was just doodling until he stands and he says, the one of you who is without sin, be the first one to cast a stone at her. And then he kneels down and he looks at that person and he writes, embezzler. He looks at another person and he writes, liar. He looks at another person and writes, gossip. And one by one, from the oldest to the youngest, they begin to peel off until no one is left. Interesting that the older ones leave first. Is that a sign of wisdom? What do you think the younger ones were doing while they're waiting for something to happen in this mist, in the midst of this tension? I think the younger men were looking for rocks. I think they were well ready to, to join in the effort to stone this woman. The value of community, people. They're looking to their elders. Come on. And they peel off one by one until everyone's gone. Except Jesus. The one who was without sin. Now, perhaps they were, there were so many things that they could have been doing and trying to do here. Jesus was great with telling people that their sins were forgiven, even when he didn't know what those sins were. You'll remember the paralytic that was brought to Jesus. He says, your sins are forgiven. They're all bent out of shape. Who can forgive sins but God? And Jesus says, but that you might know that the Son of God has the authority to forgive sins on earth. He looks at the guy and he says, pick up your, pick up your mat and walk. And he does. 
Anybody can say your sins are forgiven. When was the last time you said to a paralytic, pick up your mat and walk home? It's easy to forgive someone's sins when you don't know what they are. Well, Jesus, we know what her sins are. Are you going to forgive her? Where are your words of grace now? And if he does forgive her, what is that saying about the law? Not only does he violate the laws of the Sabbath, but he also violates clear laws regarding the stoning of adulterers. Maybe they're hoping that Jesus will lead the attack and say, yes, she does deserve to be stoned. And then they can call in the Romans because they did not have the authority to do that. The Romans alone had the authority to pass a sentence of capital punishment. But why did they even bring the woman to Jesus alone if it was such a clear-cut case? Why didn't they take her to the courts where she could be legally processed? Jesus had no legal authority in that time. Why would they bring her to him? Do we turn the people against him or do we turn the state against him? We put him in a no-win situation. I'm reminded of uh, a list of sins that Paul writes at the end of the first chapter of Romans. Furthermore, since they did not think it worthwhile to retain the knowledge of God, he gave them over to a deprived mind to do what not ought to be done, and they have become filled with every kind of wickedness, evil, greed, and depravity. They are full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, malice. They are gossips, slanderers, God-haters, insolent, arrogant, and boastful. They invent ways of doing evil. They disobey their parents. They are senseless, faithless, heartless, ruthless. Though they know the righteous decrees of God and that those who do such things deserve death, they not only continue to do these very things, but also approve of those who practice them. Ouch. How many of those can you list in your own life? The one who is without sin. Cast a first stone. And they all walk away. Because <clears throat> the one who makes the accusation is the one who has to cast the first stone. And if it takes two witnesses... The second person needs to be standing by ready to cast that second stone. And one by one, the reality of their own sinfulness makes them walk away. And standing there with the woman, he says, woman, where are they who accuse you? Is there no one left? And she says, no, Lord, none. And he says, and then neither do I. Go and sin no more. We miss the powerful message of grace and forgiveness that leads to transformation, which is what the gospel is all about. Oh, we can celebrate it in in theory. And we can sing wonderful songs like Amazing Grace. But let's be real. 
When we catch someone in a transgression, we want them to pay. We, we want to see a penitent heart. We want to see some act of contrition. Why? As a good friend used to say, you know, my sin looks really ugly on you. And how much of our accusations of others is a projection of the garbage that we're dealing with in our own souls. You know, I, I don't think that we can fully appreciate this narrative until we can honestly see our own faces reflected in this woman who was brought before Jesus. The reality is that she is me. None of us deserve the grace we are given. And yet it is given freely. But it's given freely with an expectation of transformation. Neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. Leave your life of sin. Make different choices. Help me to help you become the person that God has created you to be. Let me heal the brokenness, bind up the wounds, offer hope. It's been said that the Christian army is the only one that shoots its own wounded. And we're particularly engaged when the sins are of a sexual nature. Jesus doesn't make such distinctions. Sin is sin. And gossip has probably damaged and hurt more people than a sexual sin ever will. The one who is without sin Take the first stone. And when I think about stones, I think about a passage in Scripture that says, I laid in Zion a cornerstone, a building stone, a stone upon which you can build a foundation of life and faith that is based on grace and forgiveness, mercy and compassion. Each and every day, each and every day, there are opportunities for us to cast stones, to pick up stones, and they are all around us. And you don't need to look very far for an application. But my hope and my prayer is that instead of picking up a stone to toss and hurt someone, 
that we take that stone and we place it at our own feet. Thank you. And remember that this is a building stone, a cornerstone that is designed to give us strength and courage to live out the grace that we so freely receive. Some have said that the statement, love the sinner and hate the sin, is a bit of a platitude that is hard to do in reality. But that's just not true. Because we do it every single day to ourselves. Stones for tossing or for building. You decide. Thank you for listening to Island Recast. For more information, please go to gmpc.org. Uh, Levi Calhoun, huh? On the Cajon. Good job, young man. What would you do if you received an anonymous letter in the mail telling you to run? Hmm. Hopefully we never have to find out. But I'm pretty confident that uh, everybody's got a skeleton in their closet somewhere. And rather than root around in there and try to cover it up with other things, we can bring it to the cross. Because there we'll find grace. There we'll find forgiveness. My hope and my prayer is that in the house of God, we find the same grace, the same hope, and the same forgiveness. Because there but for the grace of God go you and me.